Hello, and welcome to Special Issue, Wiley's podcast for societies about all things scholarly publishing. I'm Stephanie Wilson. In this episode, we'll listen in on the talk given by Catherine Wilson from the British Pharmacological Society at our recent virtual society executive seminar for society publishers. As the Director of Dissemination of Research at the BPS, Catherine discusses how her organization has transitioned their journal portfolio to open access and the challenges that they overcame on the way. The BPS is a great example of one size doesn't fit all when it comes to sustainable open access journal models, and our audience at the seminar really appreciated hearing her case study. Here's Catherine. So we're an international society uh, with over 4,000 members in 60 plus countries. Um, and we have a mission to facilitate and promote um, and advance the whole spectrum of pharmacology. In addition to this, we have three um, well-established and international journals within our um, publishing portfolio. So two of these are hybrid titles. So that's the British Journal of Pharmacology, uh, which is a broad scope experimental journal, and the British Journal of Clinical Pharmacology, which covers all aspects of drug action in humans. But we also have pharmacolo- uh, Pharmacology Research and Perspectives, or PRMP, which is our gold open access title. And this journal was launched in 2013 um, and is in collaboration with Wiley and with our American sister society, who are the American Society for Pharmacology and Experimental Therapeutics. And I'll talk a tiny bit about this journal later on um, in the talk, but just to give you an overview in essence, the title was set up as a cascade journal. So it was it was aimed to um, publish out of scope articles from the BPS journals and the Aspect journals, uh, but it also um, cascades articles from other Wiley titles in the same discipline, but also actually some external journals from the Wiley portfolio completely now as well. So we've been growing that. It also accepts de novo submissions, so um, original submissions, and that's a, a growing proportion of its content. But I think the thing that I would say at this point is that um, this journal, because it's new, it's much smaller in terms of published content in comparison to our two flagship titles. I also just wanted to flag that as a society, we wanted to really proactively engage with open science or open research, particularly, I think, after the launch of Plan S in 2018. So in March 2019, our trustees, our council, um, agreed on a set of public facing principles that appear on our website um, that really highlight, I think, our desired approach and uh, the way we wanted to interact with the changes that we saw happening around us, both in publishing, but also within our community as a whole. And so one feature within that that we really wanted to highlight is, in fact, for us, open science really neatly aligns with our mission and our values as a learned society to widen participation in our disciplines so in pharmacology. And so I think the society really wanted to view that as a as an opportunity, actually, and as a really positive thing, rather than viewing open science or changes in, a, in an open access, particularly as a threat. And I think that's important to flag because it's actually sort of framed uh, quite a lot of the work that we've been doing in this area. So where are we currently um, in terms of open access? Within the BPS journals, open access makes up a small but growing portion of our published content at the moment. So. I think when I was thinking about putting together this presentation, I think what struck me initially is that I'm sure many of you would probably agree that open sciences have just mentioned and open research really align with our mission, our charitable aims and our kind of values as a learned society. But within that, there's this friction that we find that it does also present operational and financial challenges to us as learned societies as it moves us away from this traditional subscription model as a primary source of income for us. 
And I guess we, in deepening our thinking, there are a few things that I think we as a society have begun to note within this when thinking about this transition to open access. So one of the other things we noted is that one size doesn't fit all, even in a small portfolio. So you can't treat all journals the same. So there isn't this point where you can simply flip if you're wanting to move to gold open access, all of your titles once they reach this sort of arbitrary open access threshold. In reality, the reasons why you would choose to transition uh, a journal to, to pure gold open access, for instance, are really quite complex. And I think one of the other things that can be a little bit challenging is actually accurately scenario planning for a sustainable transition, because it, it's difficult and I think a bit unpredictable and there are loads of questions in there, aren't there? So there's, you know, will we lose submissions? How will the community react? I mean, what does this mean for my high impact, high impact selective title? Um, and what does it mean more broadly, I guess, for our society and the finances within our society? But I think the ability to make a transition towards open access, just it depends on a number of factors. And some of those are external environmental factors that are a little bit out of our control. But some of those are internal and they're internal to our societies and our disciplines, but also at a really granular level within individual journals as well. And I think the final thing I just wanted to, to flag was that I guess a shift towards or a transition towards open access means for many of us that now more than ever, we're having to look at diversifying our revenue. And I think that in there, there's lots of opportunity, but also it can be challenging for us to do that as learned societies because we want to do so in a way that has charitable impact. Um, and we're often doing this at a really practical level with limited resources because we're quite small organizations. Um, so how is the BPS uh, approaching these challenges? I think the first thing I'd say is that what we're trying to do is proactively um, develop a tailored plan um, that looks at our journals individually and looks at development of those journals individually, probably along the trajectory that they're always going to take in terms of journal development. But that overall, what we're wanting to do is position the portfolio, the, the three journals we currently have as a whole, and the society so that we could and we are positioning ourselves as best as possible to be able to pivot to an open access led business model. And so there are some key areas that we, we've been looking at to help us do this. And, and there are lots of these that we could talk about. What I've, what, what I've tried to do here is just pick out three that I think are perhaps applicable to all of us because we're all from different disciplines, different, different backgrounds. But the first of these is looking at increasing high quality submissions and publications with our, within our journals. And I think the thing I'd say here is the emphasis is on the quality piece. But it, it's obviously a, a benefit to capture as much great um, high quality research as possible within your portfolio. Uh, the second point is engaging with open research and also with inclusive research. And then finally, um, I've added, as I've just spoken about, see seeking ways to diversify revenue. And I think this is important to look at within journals, but it's also important to look at within a society more broadly because it, it allows you to be able to broaden out that kind of risk that you have by, by depending on one sort of source or one main source of income. And so practically, what does this mean? So in terms of increasing high quality submissions, um, for the BPS, we really want to make sure we're attracting as much high quality pharmacology research as possible. It's kind of a given and at the foremost, that's to drive the field forward. Um, but it also makes sense when you're considering a shift to open access to be publishing as much good quality content as possible within your suite of journals. And I think the two things to flag there are, one, the quality aspect. You don't want, as it was discussed yesterday for an article, just to become a, a unit of revenue. It needs to be quality content. And also I think that the point there is across your suite of journals what might work for one journal may not work for another so you have to evaluate each journal in turn and some ways that we're trying to increase quality um 
content within the BPS journals. We've been doing a lot of targeted research in uh, regional uh, high growth areas. So we've appointed regional editors to work in those key geographic areas and to do advocacy on behalf of us there. We've also actively been running webinars in specific regions. So in China, um, for example, that are tailored to one, promote the journals we've got, but also to tailor to the audience and the authors we're really trying to target there. We've also been looking at directly targeting um, and commissioning high quality and topical content. And this is primarily also to try and target and increase our reach into areas that we traditionally may not have had a lot of published articles from. So for, for us, in our case, that's industry. And what we're trying to do there is really increase our readership and our authorship in that area. So in terms of open research, best practice and inclusive research, I think the, the main point I'd say here is that it, it makes sense when thinking about an increasingly open future to ensure that your titles are as open and equitable and diverse as possible. Um, so in terms of open research, best practice, again, I think that varies between disciplines in terms of what your community uh, wants and how far you can go in terms of open research, best practice. But for us, that's in, included um, initiatives that really enable re reproducibility and transparency. So we've published high profile guidelines in our flagship journal, BJP. Um, we've also been updating and regularly reviewing our data sharing policies, and we also support preprints through our journals. We've also been looking at maximizing peer review efforts. And, and the first point I'd, I'd be there is, a uh, flag there rather, is around reviewer recognition. So um, we participate in publons and we're also thinking about things like um, CME uh, credits for reviews. But the other point I'd flag here is, is around refining the cascade process between our journals. So one of the things we've worked hard to do is to look at that transfer process of articles coming from um, BJP and BJCP are hybrid journals that might be out of scope or not quite at the quality threshold that may be uh, suitable for PR and PR open access journal. And what we try to do there is really make that process as smooth and as simple as possible for authors so that it's really easy for them to find the best place to place their research within our journals. And then focusing on equality, diversity and inclusion initiatives, this is a, a really, really core focus for us as a society. It's embedded within our strategy and it's a really key objective for us. So we've been working really hard to try and implement um, EDI initiatives within the journals as well. And we're on a, on a journey with this as well. But at the moment, that's uh, included monitoring and, and gathering diversity data as best as we can on our authors and editors to help build a, a clearer demographic picture across our journals. Um, so that we can set targets for future. And I think the other thing we've been working really hard on this year actually is to try and increase uh, transparency uh, around our editorial roles, so sort of demystifying the editor role so that it's, it's, it's clearer what editors do and also to try and make our, re, um, our recruitment process for editorial roles as open and fair as possible to increase diversity. And then finally, um, I will just talk about diversifying revenue a little bit. So within our journals at the moment, for us, that's been looking at our non-subscription revenue lines and thinking about looking beyond kind of traditional reprint sales and how we can, can try and draw in new ways of diversifying revenue there. But I think the thing I want to focus on today is, is how we're doing this more broadly within the society, because I think that journals can't just do this in isolation. Um, this diversifying revenue piece is something that that needs to happen across societies. And there are a few ways actually within the BPS that we're looking at doing that. And the first really obvious way of saying that is the directorate system that we have within our society. So um, we've brought together directorates to help seek areas of overlap between, for example, in research dissemination, which is the directorate, uh, that I run between events and publishing. So we can try and find new areas of emerging content. 
We've also been working really hard on developing a partnerships um, stream of work. And this has been underpinned by a set of principles that we've put together for working with third party organisations. So philanthropic organisations, but also commercial um, organisations so that we can be super, super clear about as a charity and as a learned society, what type of partners we want to work with and why. And I think this has been really helpful in enabling us to look at new packages of content and products and services that we may be able to form partnerships around that have both charitable impact for us first and foremost, but that also may potentially generate new streams of income for us in the future. And I guess my takeaway points from that are that journals and journal portfolios are unique. Um, one size doesn't fit all for making a transition to open access. And that is something that the strategy for a transition needs to be balanced around. And it needs an in-depth knowledge of journals and their audiences and your community. But the great thing is, societies are super well-placed to assess this because we're embedded in our communities and we're embedded in our content. So we're, we're able to assess that. And so I think, you know, there, there's a challenge, there's a challenge in transitioning towards open access, but I, I genuinely think if we get it right, it, it future-proofs societies in our journals and our journal portfolios, and it also helps us to fulfill our charitable aims. So I guess I'd finish on saying, just be open and think creatively around how to strike that balance. Uh, thank you. The British Pharmacological Society found that the best way to achieve a smooth portfolio transition to OA was through three key things increasing high-quality submissions and publications, engaging with open research best practice, and seeking out ways to diversify their revenue. Catherine encourages societies who are looking to do this to be creative when figuring out the perfect balance between journals and their audiences, as well as looking at changes in open access as an opportunity and not a threat. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. For Wiley, I'm Stephanie Wilson, and you can find more episodes and learn when new episodes are released by subscribing in iTunes or wherever you like to listen. You can get more news and information on society publishing from Wiley on Twitter by following us at Wiley in Research and on our website, wiley.com slash network slash society leaders. Our theme music was produced by Medine, and this episode was edited by Dennis Velasco. Thanks for listening.